Okay, so can you please um, start off the recording with your name, please? My name is Elfmeet Rucker Kennedy. Thank you. Um, so where were you born? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. And where did you grow up? I also grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And what did your parents do? My father was a barber and real estate investor, and my mother was a homemaker. And how many siblings did you have? I have one older sibling, and, a sister. Okay. Um, so how was your childhood like? Could you give us a little more details? Uh, I had a uh, very wonderful childhood. Unfortunately, my father died suddenly when I was eight years old of a aneurysm. He was 39 years old at the time, and as a result, his death caused a, a dramatic loss uh, in my life at that time and throughout my life of missing him. But he was such a powerful personality that he continued to live on in my life through family and friends and uh, and also I knew his history and who he was and um, so he lived on within me uh, however I continue to miss him to this day he died way too soon sorry for your loss uh, let me continue my uh, my parents uh, uh, were married right after my father was um, discharged from the United States Navy as a result of World War II. And they had a very strong, loving relationship. And my mother uh, was fantastic that after my father's death, uh, she carried on with great pride and strength, always um, remembering uh, what she knew, what he wanted for us, as well as she wanted for her children. And so although um, my father died, my mother stepped up. She had been basically a housewife. Uh, she stepped up and uh, basically continued to run his businesses for him, as well as taking on the role of a you know, full-time mother and father. And in order to help her with that process, she um, had her parents, who also lived in Cleveland, Ohio, to move in with us. Uh, at the time my father died, my parents were in the process of having a new home built. And the, uh, my father had purchased some land uh, oh, a couple of years, couple of, more than several years before we actually, he had a, an architect build on the lot. And during that interim, to show you what kind of guy my dad was, uh, uh, he was a member of a, a Sunday school class at our church, Antioch Baptist Church. And, um, the minister basically created what he called the veteran Sunday school class for all of the men who were returning from World War II and brought them together in a special Sunday school class. And this group of people, it was about um, probably 30 of them who were husbands and wives who remember the Sunday school class. They became my parents' very good friends. And as a result, uh, because we owned this land on the outskirts of Cleveland, my and at that time, many of their friends were living in the downtown area in apartments or in small homes with very small backyards. He uh, divided up the plot of the land and gave each of his um, Sunday school class members a plot 
and they could come out there and grow their own vegetables to have fresh vegetables in their home. So that's one of the things he did before he had a contractor actually start to build on the lot. And so when uh, they were ready to build their own home, um, they were in the process of doing that. And I recall very well my parents picking out all of the things for the house, the flooring and the carpeting and the windows and all these kinds of things. And um, unfortunately, my father died before we were able to move into the home. So it was he died in September of 1957, and we moved into the home in January of 1958. And my mother continued to live in that home uh, for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. So that so tells you a little bit about my parents. <laughs> Definitely. And my childhood. Yeah, yeah. So you said that your, your father was active in a Baptist church? Yes, um, Antioch Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. So did your parents also belong to any sort of um, organization, um, such as like the NAACP? Yes, they did. Okay. In fact, my father was a life member. My parents had life memberships in the NAACP uh, chapter in Cleveland, Ohio. And when you said a life membership, basically that is something that you give a, a significant sum of money so that you really support the organization. And my father uh, had a very active role in the local chapter of our NAACP. And as a result, when there was a big fundraising dinner in Cleveland and the star to come visit was Jackie Robinson, the famous baseball player, was their speaker at their big annual meeting. And my mother was able to was seated next to Jackie Robinson during this dinner, which was a real highlight for her because she loved baseball. Her father had played baseball as a young man, and that was one of the kind of things they did as a family to go out and watch my grandfather's baseball team play. So she was a real fan of baseball, and so to be able to spend the evening with Jackie Robinson seated by her side was an absolute thrill for her and something she talked about for the rest of her life. And that happened because my father was a very active member of this organization and a big contributor. He was also um, a founder, one of the founders of our Antioch Baptist Church credit union. The credit union, I'm sure you're familiar with credit unions? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, the credit union was started in the 1940s in Cleveland, Ohio at Antioch Baptist Church because although we were living in the north, uh, there still was segregation, not by um, necessarily home locations, because I grew up in a, a mixed-race neighborhood. In fact, my parents bought an apartment building, and my immediate upstairs neighbor, who was renting from, from us, from my parents, was a, they were um, Holocaust survivors. And so as a little girl, I had the opportunity to know the Litz, that was her name, and Mr. Litt, I actually saw the numbers on his, his arm where he had been uh, detained and incarcerated by the Nazis. Uh, so I got off point there, but I want to make that point. It was a very uh, interesting mixed-race neighborhood. But my father started the credit union with other members of, his, of the church because the regular white banks would not loan money to blacks to buy uh, cars or 
dishwasher, well, we have dish, uh, washing machines, or or even homes. And as a result, um, the members of our church, which was basically all black church, uh, the people could pool their mother money together, invested in their local credit union at their church, and then the church, the, the credit union, would loan the money to buy a car. Rather than going to a bank, they would come to their church credit union. And my father was one of the founders of that. He also was a founder of a local savings and loan company called Quincy Savings and Loan. And that was actually a more full-service bank uh, for blacks with a board, of, a board of directors of all black people. All the investors had been black people. And that was actually a full banking system, so they even financed homes. So I think you were asking me about what was my childhood like, and the, and so that sort of uh, captures it. My father really was a bigger-than-life uh, person and continued to be that in my life, even though he passed away when I was only eight years old. I do have my own personal memories of him. I was old enough to fully remember him, and as I said, he was kept alive for me by all kinds of people. Right. Um, so were your parents um, active politically or participate in any demonstrations? Uh, yes, as I said, they were active through the NAACP, but as I said, my father died in 1957 in Cleveland, Ohio, so there were not demonstrations going on at that time. And my mother was less uh, active, so I don't recall my mother participating in any demonstrations. Okay. Um, However, she... she was active politically in that she was active in the Democratic Party in Cleveland, Ohio, and she was one of the people who worked at the polls uh, during each of the elections in Cleveland. How did you feel about your early schooling? Uh, my early schooling was uh, just fine. As I said, I lived in a very nice mixed-race neighborhood in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, throughout my life, from kindergarten when I started school, throughout high school, I always attended very good public schools, and they were always mixed-race schools. So I had gone to school with white kids my entire life and lived in the neighborhood and played with them. They lived across the street or next door. So I grew up in a integrated neighborhood and went to mixed-race uh, schools, public schools. And did you feel prepared to go to college once you were in high school? I did. There was no question I was going to go to college. I was in um, always in the top section when I was in junior high school and in uh, uh, they called them academically talented classes in high school. So there was no question. I was going to go to college. The question was where I was going to go. And both my parents had attended college as well. Okay. And which colleges did they attend? My mother attended Morris College in South Carolina, which was a historically black college. And my father attended Finn College in Cleveland, Ohio, which eventually evolved into Cleveland State University. Neither one of them graduated, though. And so that was their goal for their children, that we would definitely graduate from college. Did you have any mentors in high school? You know, um, 
No, not that, no. I really can't say there was any one particular person. Probably the closest, I thought about this when I read your questions last okay. night, Miss um, Helen Case. Uh, she was my, I took a history class from her, and she was a black woman, and I just sort of liked her, and we sort of chatted, and she wrote a really lovely note in my yearbook. So I know we had a regular relationship as a student and teacher, um, but no, I didn't have any particular mentors in high school. No. And you said you had an older sister, correct? Correct. And did she attend college as well? or? Yes, she did, but on a much more circuitous route than I did. My sister uh, graduated from the same high school I went to, John Adams High School in Cleveland, Ohio. She then went to Kent State University in Cleveland. She lasted there about a year, uh, dropped out, um, got a job. My mother was really upset with her for dropping out of college, but it wasn't working for her at that time. She got a job basically as a secretary, and then uh, she decided to become an airline a flight attendant. She wanted to see the world. And she was worked for United Airlines as a flight attendant for many years. And when she was hired, let's say I was still in high school, so in the 60s, mid-60s, she was hired by United Airlines to be a flight attendant. And she was probably the seventh, she was the seventh black flight attendant United Airlines had hired at that point. Uh, we're talking, this had to be about 1965 or so. And she's an interesting story in the sense that at that time period in the 60s, uh, the flight attendants all had to be single. Although the pilots could be married, flight attendants had to be single. And so when my sister got married three or four years later uh, to the same boyfriend she had met when she was at Kent State University, um, she had to quit her job because you were not permitted to be married. Fast forward oh, 20 years, flight attendants uh, filed a class action lawsuit against United Airlines alleging gender discrimination, saying, why? Because we are women and we get married that we have to quit our jobs when men who are basically doing a comparable job, they don't have to. And as a result of that class action, um, she returned, and I mean, we're talking about 20 years or so different, and she returned to flying for a few years and then uh, retired as a flight attendant. So she traveled all around the world, basically, as a flight attendant. Oh, wow. Um, so these are kind of, I mentioned that just yeah. to show the, during this time period, how our society has evolved and that I am currently 67 years old. And so the issues that my daughters, who are currently 29 and 30 take for granted. I'm part of that women's movement where these things are not to be taken granted. These are things that women and blacks fought for to make the changes in the world today. And I'm part of that age group where we were um, fighting. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so why did you choose to attend Goucher College? And I was going to say, that's a segue into that. <laughs> uh, at the time when I was applying to colleges in 1966, you must recall or well, you must know that at that time, 
the single-sex women's colleges were considered the wonderful places for women to go. And we had single-sex male colleges. <clears throat> All of the Ivy League at that point was still single-sex. And so those changes, I didn't even have the opportunity to apply to many colleges because there were colleges were dis- divided by gender. However, having gone to a co-ed high school, I intentionally chose Goucher, and Goucher was my first choice of college, because I wanted a single-sex college. And why did I want that? I wanted a college where the professors would pay attention to me as the woman and not be dismissive of me. As I had seen on television and hearing my sister's experience at Kent State University, which was a large uh, co-ed school, that I wanted a college that was small and that was all women because I knew those professors were there and they were not going to discriminate against me because of my gender. I was also had come from a racial environment where I didn't presume that they were going to discriminate against me because of my race either. And just as things would work out at my high school, John Adams High School in Cleveland, Ohio, there was a black woman who had gone to Goucher before me. She was two years ahead of me. Her name was Carlotta Washington. Carlotta had been the uh, valedictorian of her John Adams High School class. Carlotta is someone that I had admired, and she had selected Goucher College, which clearly for me was like, well, if it's good enough for Carlotta, it's more than good enough for me because I did not graduate valedictorian of my class. I was in the upper 10%, but I was not valedictorian. So that was one of the reasons I picked Goucher. The other reason I picked Goucher is my sister had gone to Kent State University, and they were in the quarter system, which meant that Every you took your exams before your winter your breaks, so you could always have a wonderful time on your break because you weren't worried about you know going back to take exams as colleges that were on the semester system did. And so when I found out when I uh, attended Goucher, we were initially on that quarter system, and that was another one of the attractions. So that uh, before the Christmas holidays. Uh, we were done. We had taken our exams, and so I could go home and have a wonderful, relaxing time versus my friends who were studying for uh, finals and doing writing papers over the holiday. And that I was I learned from my sister's experience, and that was another reason I was looking for that, and Goucher offered that at the time. Did you apply to any other um, single-sex colleges? Uh, yes. I rec- uh, applied to what was then called, I think it was Western College for Women in Ohio. I don't think it exists anymore. And then uh, I applied to Hampton Institute, which is a historically black college in Virginia, which was co-ed. So um, prior to attending Goucher, um, did you know anyone else that attended other than Carlotta? No, I did not. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I, yes, I met... At my high school, there was a women's club. It was called Women, Women, the Association of Women of Eastern Colleges. And it was basically some older white women who had attended Eastern Colleges, and they got together and formed a club. And so they had come to John Adams High School to tell us about their college experience. 
and the woman who was currently president of the club had gone to Goucher College. And so naturally, that's, I, I heard of it uh, from her as well. But I just sort of went through catalogs and looked up colleges. So um, was your mother able to, to help you finance your education, or was it something you did yourself? Uh, my mother, well, combination. I had uh, jobs during the summer that I worked and made money for my spending expenses, but between financial aid and the uh, uh, finances that my mother provided, I was able to pay for college. So what were your first impressions of Goucher? Uh, it was the beautiful campus that I had uh, seen in the photographs I had not visited uh, which was not unusual at that time. It's very unusual for young people to go to colleges today, sight unseen. But that was not unusual back in the early 60s. Uh, and it was a beautiful college, and uh, I liked it. And I was uh, warmly welcomed by my roommate and the other girls on my floor. And uh, I'm uh, friends with several people today that I met as uh, college students. Can you describe? I did want to tell you one funny thing. Sure. I, I thought of this. Uh, one of the, and basically when I say I lived in uh, Wagner House in Stimson Hall, and there was a, and I think I was probably, as my as a, as a freshman, I was the only black person in that house. Um, there was a, a white girl in the house, and her father was a business executive, and and so she was clearly from a very well-off family. And I remember us sitting around talking. We were freshmen. And so I clearly was, you know, not aware of how corporate America worked or all this kind of thing and kind of holding forth. And she basically said, my daddy says everything in this world boils down to two things, sex or money. And I remember looking at her like, are you out of your mind? And then she went on to say something else. And the point of the story is, after years of being an adult, I realized her daddy was right. <laughs> Everything in this society turns down that some major factor is sex and or money or both. And I just wanted to m mention that because that's something I heard as a freshman back in 19, the fall of 1967. And I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. I, didn't know, I had no idea what she was talking about. But as an adult who's been a lawyer for 42 years, I now understand and agree with her father. Can you um, speak more to how you felt about going to a college that was very small um, and also had a very small number of, of black students? Uh, I clearly understood that when I went to college or Unless I had chosen a historically black college, I was going to be in a minority. My sister had gone to college before me, and that's just something I accepted. Um, I had also gone to mixed-race schools my whole life so I was, and had mixed-race neighbors, so I wasn't intimidated by that. I knew I was going to be in the minority. Um, however, the time period was such that race relations clearly was a big issue in America, and I knew that uh, I would probably be confronted with some people who were hostile to me, um, so I was prepared for that. However, I did not confront it. 
I did not have a single negative uh, confrontation with any white student when I was a Goucher. Now, maybe there are those who chose not to befriend me, but I don't know that they chose not to befriend me. I think probably I may not have chosen to befriend them. Uh, I, in my time period at Goucher, did not have any negative personal interactions. And one of the things I want to share as I'm talking about this, that um, I can recall an, an interesting experience when I was still at Goucher and I'm I think maybe I'm a junior at this point. So I'm feeling, you know, very confident. I'm, and, and I've been there for, you know, two and a half years at this point. There was a white girl from New Jersey whose dad was a, I think, a plumber or something like that, clearly a blue-collar job. And she had come from a working-class neighborhood. Goucher basically was predominantly a place of affluence. These girls were the daughters of professional people. They were not the daughters of plumbers. And so this white girl, I think she was from New Jersey, something like that, she spoke to me about how she felt uncomfortable there because she knew all the people there had more money than she did. And she eventually left the college because she was unhappy because as a white working class girl, she felt out of it. And I remember being, and she came to talk to me about it, and I remember thinking, gee, it was surprising to me. I'm thinking, but you're white. That should be enough for you. But it was not enough for her being white. The class issues also played into it. And that was kind of a revelation for me because I was sort of always looking at it from race point of view, but also class point of view became a factor. Um, and certainly was a factor for uh, white students as well. And I know that this girl left the Goucher because she did not feel she fit in with the profession, the daughters of professionals that attended Goucher at that time. Now, that's, a, that's the only incident I can say about that, but I, I know it happened. So can you speak more about your, um, your roommates as a first year? Uh, my roommate uh, from my first year uh, was named Deborah Parsons. She was from Connecticut. She was white. Her father was a professor of history at the university in Connecticut. I don't think it was the University of Connecticut. I can't remember the name. Uh, we got along great from the very beginning, but unfortunately in our uh, at that point we were on the quarter system, and so the third quarter which was the last, we call them quarters, but there's only three of them. Um, she, uh, she got sick. We, we, you know, we had the twin bed thing, and, I, and I'm in one bed. She's in another. I look up. She gets out of bed. She stands up, and she collapses to the floor. And so I help her to get some medical attention, and she ended up uh, going home for treatment, and she never returned to, to, to Goucher. She continued her college career back in her uh, home state of Connecticut. But we got along great. We would uh, we dated guys from the same fraternity. Uh, we went to parties together. We went to the mixers together. We got along just fine. And in fact, her mother, uh, when we were unpacking that first day, and her mother basically says to my mother, "Well, we live closer than you do, so please feel free to let you know." If Al can't make it home for the 
all the way to Cleveland, you know, please feel free to have her, you know, we'd love to have her at our house. So we were graciously welcomed. So you said you were the only black student living in Wagner. So how was that experience? Um, fine. I had never, I didn't have any negative encounters with uh, anyone in Wagner House. There are people who were not friendly, but I didn't think they were not friendly because of my race. I mean, they were just, you know, seniors who didn't necessarily talk to freshmen, you know, no. I can't identify you a specific racist incident that I experienced personally. Now, maybe that was a function of me because I, I had a comfort level having always lived in uh, mixed-race neighborhoods, had gone to mixed-race schools. So I had a comfort level with dealing with white people because I've been doing it my entire life. Um, and so I basically picked friends who... Uh, I had many white friends, and I you know, have them to this day. So I personally did not have issues. Uh, clearly, other black students, uh, especially those who came after me, did. But I think part of it is a function of if you have lived in an all-black environment and you're confronted with the, a white environment like Goucher, which clearly, because in my class, class of 1971, there were officially only two black girls in that class of about 300 girls or so. However, there was a black girl who basically was in denial, and we didn't realize until we graduated that she really was black when we saw her black family. We looked up and said, well, she's not with us, (laughs) and uh, who are those people? And the family was black, and she physically looked black to us, but she clearly made a point of not engaging with uh, me and Rita Ford, who was the other black person in my class. What did you do to spend your, your free time at Goucher? Uh, let's see. Well, I had a campus job, uh, and basically my job was to give campus tours to incoming students or high school students who were looking at Goucher. And I got paid the grand sum of $1 for each tour. And as a result, I became really good friends with the then uh, director of admissions or dean of admissions of Goucher, Mary Ross Flowers. Um, And so that was my job. Then I had another job uh, setting tables. We actually had sit-down dinners uh, at Goucher my first two years. And so there are students who would, you know, set the tables for just a dinner. For breakfast and lunch, it was... uh, cafeteria style but for dinner we actually sat down and there were other girls who worked got the jobs as waitresses which paid even more than setting the table and um and uh, so that was what i did for my job part of it and then for my social oh i want to mention that that whole concept of uh, being waitresses at that time at that time when i was at goucher muffy fong a hawaiian student whose father at the time was a senator from Hawaii to the to to Congress or for, to the Senate. Actually, worked as a waitress. So it wasn't the question of everybody who worked as worked on campus needed the money because you were forced to do it because of financial aid. People just did it because they wanted extra money. So Muffy Fong really had a lock on the waitressing job, and she clearly did not need the money. Um, in terms of what I did for social life, uh, my very first mixture, I met um, a black guy from 
were several black guys from Johns Hopkins University. And we became friends, and uh, we started to date. And uh, so those are... And then while I was there, I visited uh, Franklin and Marshall College. Um, so I went to parties, fraternity parties at Hopkins. Uh, was sort of basically the main thing for my social life. And what was the social atmosphere like at Goucher? Uh, basically, we the social life really wasn't centered on Goucher. Goucher would host uh, a mixer. Each dorm would have one where you know it would be held in each of the dorms, and guys. Because remember, it's a, a, all in the school at this point. So basically, the um, the guys from uh, more like the Johns Hopkins University would hear about our mixtures and they'd come over. So the social life was based upon these mixtures. We also had a, a a little what was then called a discotheque back in that day uh, in the basement of Mary Fisher, like on a Thursday night or Wednesday night, and that was a place you could go and dance and and hang out. It was sort of like a it was a non-alcoholic serving kind of bar, basically, and you do that. I also um, tutored uh, children at a, a black, in a black neighborhood in, in Baltimore, and so there was a bus that Goucher provided that would take us to this, this school on a weeknight, and we would tutor the kids, and they were all black kids from a clearly low-income area. And we tutor them and then come back. And I did that one evening every week as well. So at Goucher, um, what did you major in? Political science. Were there any other black students in your classes? You know, I, don't, I can't recall any. No, I don't think so. Mm-mm, no. So can you tell me more about some of your professors that you connected with? At the very beginning, uh, Professor Morton, who just passed away several months ago, I doubt your, uh, your freshman year at that time, they just gave you a academic advisor, and you were supposed to meet with that professor to select your classes. Uh, Dr. Morton was a philosophy professor, so I clearly wasn't interested in that, but, you know, they made these random assignments. And on the freshman week, when you were supposed to go meet with your professor, uh, I developed extreme, I just was sick. I just didn't feel well. And I called to cancel. And, uh, and, he, and he was just very gracious. I mean, it was in, you know, like 15 minutes of my appointment. I knew I just couldn't, couldn't go. And uh, he was very gracious. And then, you know, like two or three hours later, he called me to say, how are you feeling? And I just thought it was the kindest and warmest thing. It wasn't like he was checking up on me. He really was concerned. And that was sort of my introduction to Goucher of how very personal it was. I never took a class with him, but I always remembered his, the kindness that he showed to me at that time. Uh, the professor, because I was in the political science department, um, I had the most contact with uh, Marianne Githens, who was a professor in the political science department. But I think one of my mistakes in college, um, and I never really uh, developed a very close personal relationship with any of my professors. Now, why did I do that? I don't know. 
why didn't I do that? I don't know. Were there any professors you avoided for any reason? I didn't avoid professors. I avoided certain classes. I truly wasn't into mathematics, so I didn't take classes like that. I uh, avoided the sciences. I took the obligatory courses in science, but you know I didn't work in sciences. However, the other um, black woman who was in my class, Rita Ford, uh, was a biology major, and so Rita was taking the uh, classes. And Rita and I are still in contact. She. Uh, eventually returned to her hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Were you politically active in any way on Goucher's campus? Uh, when you say politically, um, yes, in the sense that when, I guess it's when, yeah, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, that was in 1968, and I was... Uh, I guess I am still a freshman. And I remember the black students um, had a, a vigil in the Goucher courtyard to acknowledge his death. Um, so I participated in that. We also did, I participated in um, anti-Vietnam activities on campus. Um, and I was active in my class, and then I was a class officer at one point. I think it was my senior year. I think I was vice president of the class. I can't remember now. And the political issues of the day were just starting to bubble up in 1967 when I started at Goucher. Um, but in fact, you know, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, uh, I remember Baltimore uh, had it rioting. And I was dating a guy at Hopkins at the time. He had a car, and we were kind of driving around looking at the rioting, which is a really stupid thing now that I think back. But <laughs> we were out there. We weren't rioting ourselves. We were just sort of looking at what was going on and then decided that wasn't such a great idea. Why did you become a member of the Black Student Association? Uh, there was a feeling of wanting solidarity and I wanted to formally connect with my other black students on campus and to engage and help them um, work out any issues that they may have. And it's also kind of the thing to do in the 60s. Colleges across the country were all developing black student associations. But I know on your list you asked me, uh, what did you protest about or why did you organize? I, I don't remember us protesting about anything Oh, wait a minute. Um, what we did was that we did, yes, now it's coming back to me. We did organize to say to Goucher College, look, there are not enough black students here. And the question is why? The why is that most black students don't know about Goucher College because it is this sort of white uh, women's college. And so we feel that many more black students would come to this college if they knew about it. Uh, and as a result, we developed uh, some programs where we, the black students went out and actively recruited, uh, with the assistance of our admissions office, uh, recruited black uh, women to come to Goucher College. And so that was part of our activism to say, look, uh, you can have more black students here who clearly qualify to attend this college. They just don't know you exist. And so we're going to go out and help 
uh, you tell people, and we had them to finance us to do that, uh, traveling trips, going to b- different places. I remember I went up to New Jersey and went to various high schools up there that the admissions office arranged the visits, and we would go up and, um, and talk to black students about the college. And you worked in admissions, so were you able to see this process firsthand as well? Uh, no, I was not involved in the selection process at all. Uh, I could see the, I did tours, specifically if a black student came on campus, they made a point of giving, assigning that person to a black tour guide so that person would have a greater comfort level. Uh, I did that on a regular basis throughout the time I was at uh, Goucher. But in terms of the admissions process, reviewing applications, no, we didn't have anything to do with that. What we did was try to funnel in more people to apply. Are you familiar um, on how the Black Student Association was formed? You know, I can't remember. It was formed after I arrived, but I don't remember. Can you speak more on um, how often the Black Student Association met um, and what other conversations um, you all had? I do not recall how often we met. It was a, a regular meeting time, so I would think it was like once a month. Uh, but you know, I don't think it was weekly. I think it was monthly, and we would meet in a um, in the various uh, dorms because we had you know sort of social rooms there, and we would reserve a room and we'd meet and talk and laugh and you know talk about issues or complain, you know, but. Um, I do not remember the formal organization of the of, of the BSA, even though I know it started after my arrival. It did not exist when I came to the campus because at that point there have been very few black students, and and I think there have been black students in the past, but they had been what we call city students, so they didn't live on campus, and so the issues that they had uh, were different. It was part of the issues for the Black Student Association was the living environment, uh, the interaction with the other students versus the interaction with the professors. So can you speak more to um, students' responses to the Black Student Association forming? I don't recall any response to it. Okay. And do you think administration was supportive of the Black Student Union Association? Yeah, I think it was. Did the Black Student Association participate in other political activities outside of Goucher? Not that I recall. Okay. I'm on an individual basis. Um, we, you know, participate in activities, but not as an organization. I don't recall it. Do you feel that Goucher has changed um, by the time you graduated? Uh, no, by the time I graduated, I think Goucher was basically the same place it had been uh, when I arrived. Uh, we're talking time period in 1967 to 1971. We had uh, a few more black students. Um, so that our Black Student Association meetings were more than five, six people. They were, you know, 15, 20 people. Um, but, 
No, I don't think Goucher had changed dramatically. However, the, the, the school system, we had gone from a three-semester system to what was called a 414. And that process gave me the opportunity as a political science student uh, to work for Ralph Nader's Nader Raiders in Washington. And me and some other political science majors would come over to Washington during that month of January. We drove back and forth every day. And uh, we did a study of inner city uh, food markets to talk about how poor people don't get fresh foods and don't have the same kind of services as uh, suburban people receive in the food industry. And that was a study that the Ralph Nader, Nader's Raiders, were already doing, and we just cut a little long for the ride and helped them be their eyes and ears for that. Well, that was my project uh, as a senior. I did it. Um, I forgot your question again. Oh, it was just um, whether Goucher changed by the time you graduated. Oh, right. um, no, I don't think it has significantly changed. Uh, uh, the change basically for Goucher came when it decided to go co-ed, and that occurred several years after I graduated. So do you have any special memories of Goucher that you'd like to share? Well, my, one of my special memories is that uh, many years after my graduation, I was asked to serve on the Board of Trustees of Goucher, which I did for about uh, six years, maybe, something like that. And that gave me an opportunity to see how a college works from the business side. So that was a real education for me. Um, I know as a member of the Board of Trustees, as a black person and a black alum, I would clearly raise questions about uh, financial aid for black students, which is an issue I raised when I was a student, because I remember when we went out with that recruiting thing, we basically told the admissions people, look, there are a whole lot of black women around this country who go to this college. Uh, they just don't know you exist. And so it's about recruitment, just letting your, letting, getting your message out. And I remember when the college was considering their international program, I specifically raised the issue at the Board of Trustees meeting to recognize that it sounds like a wonderful concept, but these programs are going to require additional finances. And so we need to put into the budget for this, for those students, and for probably most of the black students, will not be afford to be able to go off to Canary Islands for the month to do some research. So they, And that was part of the discussion, and it's my understanding that the Goucher did put funds in there to cover the expenses of those students who couldn't afford to pay the extra money to do some of these international trips. So how do you see Goucher today? Uh... I have not been actively involved in Goucher today, so I'm not really quite sure. I have positive feelings about it, and so much so that I did encourage my goddaughter to attend Goucher, and she's now a senior, and I got an email from her mom the other day telling me when graduation was. And basically they picked Goucher because of me and my experiences there. So I still have very positive feelings for Goucher. One of the things I would say that... Goucher, I picked Goucher when I was an 18-year-old girl from Cleveland, Ohio. 
now as a result of being a adult, um, I doubt I would pick Goucher College. I think I am stronger now, but that's what you would expect of somebody 67. Goucher was perfect for me at 18. Would it probably be too small for me at the person I am today? Yes, it would be. But knowing my goddaughter at that time, I thought, this is a perfect place for her. She needs the nurturing and the closeness. She doesn't need a huge university. She would easily get lost there. And she has really thrived at Goucher. So I still think Goucher is a wonderful place for particular students. Some people would thrive in a larger environment, but I think many people need the smaller classes, the much more hands-on environment that Goucher provides. And as a result, I recommend that to people and recommended it to my goddaughter, and she is currently there. And she is black. This is my black goddaughter. And she's from New Orleans, and she's had a very positive experience at Goucher. That's great. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to discuss at this point? Not that I can think of. Um, can't think of anything else. Okay. Um, so just to remind... I, I didn't yeah. have any negative experiences at Goucher, mm-hmm. I guess. I, and probably I'm unique in that. Uh, I think others did. Uh, but for me, because I don't want to paint it as this, this perfect environment. It clearly was not. But that was a function of probably from where I was coming versus where other people were coming from. and Or just the luck of the draw of who were my dorm mates, who lived, you know, who lived on my corridor. I, I did not encounter, um, I'm trying to really think through it, I did not encounter one specific negative confrontational situation I had at Goucher. I mean, I, when I was at Goucher, I dated black guys and white guys, um, I, you know, and I never had a problem in, in, with anybody. Right. But his reaction to that. Now, maybe they were thinking things or saying things, but they certainly didn't confront me. 